You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. for the Lord. This is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 5th of June. A couple of days ago, I was chatting online on Twitter with Somer. Somer? Somer? What are we going to call him? Let's go with Somer. Uh, for those of you who don't know who he is, he actually writes a couple of web comics, successful web comics as well. He does Looking for Group, Least I Can Do It, and, and whatnot. We almost had him on our comic book informer one time uh, podcast, oh, I should say. What's that? Lar does the artwork, but Somer does the writing. The actual writing, yep. Okay. So, anyway, so periodically I'll, I'll kid around with him on, on Twitter. It's not like we know each other or friends. But uh, just before the weekend, he mentioned that he wanted to pick up Star Trek Bridge Crew. And I was joking around back at him saying, yeah, I was considering picking it up too. But, and not to sound, you know, dramatic or anything, but I got no VR friends. So I was thinking <laughs> that's where a lot of the fun in the game would be in playing with other people. And he was saying, well, add me. We'll play together. And I thought, oh. Fuck, that, that'd that be fun. Why not? So I bought the game digitally. He, being an old fool, ordered a hard copy. <laughs> so he's still waiting. So we haven't gotten a chance to play it. I played solo, though. I could have gone into some random groups, but I decided just first, A, get to know the game so that I'm not that guy, that ensign who did not read the manual <laughs> and does not know how to pilot this ship. I thought, no, I'm going to be prepared at least so that when I do get in the group, I'll at least know what I'm doing. So I popped in and and did the tutorial as well as one of the, 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 the first mission that you do. Now, we've talked about this on both Comic Book Informer podcast as well as Popcorn Ronin where we talked about various Star Trek movies. I like Star Trek movies. I also really like Star Wars movies. And... I've seen a lot of the TV shows, all of them right now, except for Deep Space Nine, which we've had this conversation. I'll get to it eventually. I know, I know, eventually. You all, really need to, man. Come all on. that just to say, on a scale, what was the example I used with you, Joe, on a, on a scale of, man, I'll watch a show if it's on TV, to I have all the costumes in my closet. I'd put myself at a solid seven, maybe. You know, I enjoy the shows a lot. I really enjoy the movies. I'm, I'm forgiving of the movies as well. When people say, well, that's crap because of this, is this. It's guys in space having fun. Why not? So I, I, I really enjoy them. But it stops as that, at that. Like, I don't know everybody's names. I certainly can't speak Klingon. And I don't have plastic ears in my sock drawer. But I like the IP. This was... This is as close... To a holodeck as I will get to in my lifetime. And I'm alright with that. I got in and I put it in. And, and I also had my little um, wrist thing that I bought for nausea. Just in case. But I wouldn't have needed it. So when you start off. You start your training of course in the holodeck. So the walls kind of look like holodecky kind of thing. Where there's just you see the walls and you see the, the, the bars kind of and whatnot. But there was also... In amongst that, there was a captain's chair. There was the, uh, the the panel at the front with the ensign 
pilot dude and the tactical officer and there's an engineering off to the side. And then there's the massive LCD at the front that is classic of every ship that's been in, in Star Trek. And so you, 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 you have this immediate feel of being in this IP, of being in a holodeck. And, and it was really fucking cool. Now, the one thing I will say, of course, because I'm playing on the PSVR, the graphics aren't the best. So you do see the pixelation uh, around the edges and whatnot. It still looked very good, but it just wasn't crystal clear kind of thing, which made me very curious about how it looks in the Vive and in the, the Rift. Because it's now actually being bundled with the Vive. If you buy a brand new Vive now, you're getting Star Trek Bridge Crew. Which, to me, will really demonstrate to people what VR is capable of doing. So I've seen a few videos of the Vive version. And granted, it's not watching a video isn't the same experience as actually being in the VR. But it looks pretty damn good. Okay. <laughs> I'll say that much. I actually told my wife... and. Joe and I have joked about this before. My wife is way too supportive. <laughs> if I tell her, like, this looks really cool, I she'll think say, "All three of us have the exact yeah, and it's same like, problem. Yeah. Why don't you just buy it? Honey, it's like, this is really cool. Buy it." Yeah, no. So, but I was telling her, I said, "Like, I'm not going to, but this is almost a reason to buy a Vive. It really is. It was that cool." The funny thing is, and this is, I thought as I was playing this. The perfect example, the perfect way to impart upon others how immersive this is and how, because people have a hard time sometimes if you haven't actually done these things and gone in VR and whatnot, you have a hard time grasping that concept when it's described to you of your mind fully believing where you are because that's what you're seeing. And some people don't get that. It's like, well, no, you know you're in VR. Yeah, you do. But your brain plays tricks on you in, in VR. And that's part of the fun. And here's a very, very simple example of that. I'm playing. So I just kind of bounced in real quick. I didn't mess around with anything. I just, let's just do the tutorial. And I thought, well, I'll start with the captain. Because the captain has kind of an overviewing uh, knowledge of all the other stations, but doesn't have quite as much detail. So that's why you have to rely on the others and not just do everything yourself. So I thought, well, that's a good place to start. I'll start off there and then I'll do the others, by which point I'll have a, a good feel for what it is. So captain it is. I'm sitting at my big boy captain chair and I look down and I've got boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the default is the same for everybody or if it's just random, but it gave me a female avatar. Your brain literally there it's 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 a glitch in your brain that stops for a moment because you're looking at a, a fully realized body. Like a lot of games, they won't show you your legs or, or whatever, or your, your body even because they just show your hands kind of thing. This, there's a, a full body. So you see the, the, like the dress, you see the legs, you see hands, arms, everything. So when you look down, again, your brain is seeing this and interprets it as your body. And there is that slight glitch in your brain for a moment where you're like, what the fuck? And then you, it's like, oh my God, I've got boobs. <laughs> And lady legs. And it was that moment where you're like, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm in this room. 
And so I did the, um, the training for, for all of the stations. F- fucking tactical is a bunch of fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Most people would have thought, well, yeah, you're shooting shit, but no, it's so much more than that. But I love tactical. And I thought like, you know, we've seen all of the, the, the Star Treks, even if it was only a few episodes here and there, uh, I've watched a, a really interesting episode of Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson one time where he had Will Wheaton on, who said that even though the panel in front of him is all just a, a big prop and doesn't mean anything when you tap it, he developed his own system of taps for different things meant taking off, going to warp, doing all. And it was just because he was an enthusiastic kid who was a fan of Star Trek. So he was all in. So he was making his own movements. So if you are watching the next generation and you're watching Wheaton flying the ship, if they say go to warp or if they're saying impulse or whatever, you'll notice he's always doing the same symbol for each of those things because that was how he did it. That said, I always thought, you know, piloting these things, like even when you're watching that, it doesn't look very exciting. It actually is. The way they designed it with how you're flying and whatnot, the best analogy, which again, I was describing to my wife and she was saying, so then it's very much like a, a ship in that it you can't stop on a dime. So if you need to stop at, you know, 45 degrees, you better start slowing down at 30 or offer counter thrust to kind of align yourself where you need to be. And it takes some finagling before you kind of figure out the, the, the formula to doing it properly. And then you can control the speed as well. You can warp, you can check out your map. So the piloting was a ton of fun as well. Engineering, eh, not as much, but you're messing around with where you put in power, sending crews up for repair and everything. So I finished the tutorial and you're watching another dude obviously higher up than you on the screen who's telling you how to do different things and you're practicing and and you can press a button as well you can you can play either with a remote or with the move controller so i use the move controllers um and and it worked better it was very cool and the hands are really well designed as well like you can bring them right up and look under the fingernails and and so I, I I did all of the the tutorial stuff, which again was awesome. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to make my my avatar now. So my avatar is this like grizzled old Vulcan guy. <laughs> He's seen shit. Okay, <laughs> there are women with tentacles <laughs> in his backstory that hurt him, broke his heart. So I made him, and then I jumped into the first mission. And I will say quite excitedly because a it, it was, it's been a bad pain weekend so when i decided to play i told the wife i said, just i think i'll go in and see if it can help with the pain kind of thing which it did amazingly like i did not fucking think about pain the entire time i was in there so i was in a good mood and i'm like oh fuck let's do this so i'm jumping into the first mission after i make my guy which I will say they could have had more options for customizing your guy in the future. Ubisoft, if you're listening, that'd be awesome. Still, that's cool, and I'm happy with what I got. So I just bounce into that first mission. Let's just see what's going on. I didn't even fucking read. I'm just, let's go in and see what happens. So I go into the first mission. So you took the Kirk approach. Yeah, basically. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh I'm channeling my inner Kirk. This is no fucking Spock Vulcan. And... um you go into your ship, and I know they've said they're likely to release other ships. They didn't say that outright, unless they didn't, I missed it. But they kind of alluded to it and hinted that, you know, there's going to be more coming. This ship is gorgeous, and you literally can look 
all around you, up, down, everywhere. There's various crew members at different spots. I wasn't crazy about the fact that they decided to go with the original kind of really fucking short skirts on women. It was like, oh, come on. But whatever. The ship is gorgeous. And you, you're there. Like, you, again, you feel like you're in this ship. So I'm working with AI. And it's set up very intuitively because whereas if you're playing with other players, you're just going to use the mic system and tell them, hey, go do this, and they'll tell you to fuck off and do whatever they want. Here you just kind of are pressing different commands that you can issue to people. You look at them, you press a button, and it gives you commands. And everything's got this, like, minority report kind of hollow stuff happening that you can activate as well. Very, very, very fucking cool. A lot of fun. And um, and so I start in on the mission, and then you got some woman beside you who's giving you oh a message came I guess she'd be the equivalent of a hero like a message came in priority whatever and you got to go and do this so you're going off to save a federation ship and then there's some other uh, some ship that's not federation they need help as well and then you're navigating amongst uh, mines in space and that's where I almost fired my fucking ensign because motherfucker was not <laughs> avoiding the mines he was <laughs> practically going right through them even though i'm saying avoid them it came to a point it, it would have been funny if i was streaming or if karen was recording me because <laughs> i'm swearing at this motherfucker <laughs> it's like you're get the fuck out of that seat and i took his place because you can take whoever's place you want and i started navigating around them which was fun like you're literally navigating this tank around mines and around distortions in space and all kinds of shit like that. It was a lot of fun. Get through all of that, and then there's a priority message that comes in. The Kobayashi Maru is stranded and needs your help. And as soon as I hear that (laughs) name, I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) Because if you're not a fan of Star Trek or watch the movies, that's always the first training quote-unquote mission and it's an impossible situation you're not going to win and that's the lesson of this mission don't expect you're always going to win unless you cheat like kirk so the kobayashi maru is in klingon neutral space so you're not supposed to go there so you have two options don't go and they die or go and who knows what's going to happen. Well, you know what's going to happen. I go out there and I start transporting them. And while you're transporting, your sh- your shields can't be up. So you're transporting and you can only transport six at a time. And there's over 380 of them on that fucking <laughs> ship. So you know you're not getting through this. And then on top of that, there's stealth Klingon chips. What's funny is that when they tell you, and you got Uhura beside you here saying, we're not supposed to go in there, and I'm, like you said, I'm channeling my inner Kirk, and it's like, oh, we're going. <laughs> I don't care if that's neutral space or not, we're fucking going. So I go out, and then it's this cat and mouse game of take down one Klingon ship, quickly go transport at least one batch, if not more. Meanwhile, your hull is getting attacked. Meanwhile, more Klingons are decloaking and attacking the Kobayashi Maru. So its hull is going down as well. And it's just this race of how many can we save versus how many Klingons can we kill. Knowing it's a Kobayashi Maru, I didn't save too many. I was just going shit crazy on all of the Klingons (laughs) and knocking them all out and getting a few on the ship. And then you get through that and they explain just that, what the Kobayashi Maru is. And then from that point, you can start 
actual missions, and that's where I'm at right now. I've read a number of reviews on the game right now, and I've read from people who've played with others saying that it is amongst the best gaming they've ever done in multiplayer. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to multiplayer. There was actually a really, really funny Penny Arcade strip that just came out for this. So if you haven't seen it, go, go to pennyarcade.com and check it out. But from just what I saw, there is like, not only is there no buyer's remorse, but there's no buyer's remorse for buying the PSVR, if I'd had any. It was that fucking cool an experience. And I haven't even scratched the surface. Like, I know there's a limitation to how many missions are available right now, and hopefully more will come. I'm looking forward to playing with other people. And, hey, they may ruin the experience or not. Whatever, we'll see. But even just the experience with with the AI crew was enough for me. Even just that was enough that I was having so, so much fun. And the only reason I stopped is because I knew that we were going to be having supper. And so it was like, okay, well, I'll stop. The mission's done, so I'll stop and, and we'll eat. And quite literally, Karen had just been coming downstairs for us to eat. So it is a ton of fun. Completely took my mind off of pain. So if you're, I know I've brought this up before, so if you are someone who also suffers from chronic pain, and you have a VR unit and you're wondering, this is great for that. Because you're always sitting down, there is absolutely no motion sickness. The only other thing I will say negative is that, and I found this in a few games, I don't know why this occurs from a technical developmental standpoint, but it is, it's annoying and it, I can see how it, it could cause some people some nausea. Some games that have static items, um, be it a table that doesn't move, chairs, different things like that. In this case, all of the various panels and chairs for the crew and whatnot. Some games, when you look to the side, those things move a little bit. And they shouldn't. Those things should remain stationary in front of you because they're fucking stationary. But even just slight movements of your head, sometimes these things will, will move a little. Not a ton, not, certainly not enough to, well, not enough to make me ill, but I can see how for some people it might be off-putting. And it's, I don't know if the same thing occurs in the other VR units or if that's a limitation of the PSVR. I honestly don't know. But it is something that was annoying that I certainly would would have made a big difference if it did not occur. If everything was flat, straight, didn't move, then you'd be less likely to feel that, pull out of the immersion because that's what it does when you're in there and you're like, I'm here. Look at, I got boobs. I'm good. to go. And all of a sudden your panel moves when you turn your head. It's like, Oh fuck. But that's it. Those are my only concerns. And otherwise, not only do I not have any regrets of, of picking it up because I, I bought it at full price. I am. I can't wait to get back into that game over and over and over again. I don't care if I'm running the same missions over and over again. I'm going to be playing this a lot. It was that much fun. So, that being said, because neither you two have VR units, <laughs> mm-hmm. let's Correct. move on. We got a crap load of Final Fantasy, both 14 and 15 news. So, Vince, take it away. All right. Starting off with 15, because, you know, let's end on a high note here. Uh, this 15 is your high at, note? Huh? <laughs> 15 is your high note? No, no, no. We're starting with 15. Oh, so sorry. Okay. End on a high note. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
at uh, Momocon, a big uh, animation conference uh, that takes place annually in Georgia. One of the uh, the RPG design lead for Final Fantasy 15, Takatsugu Nakazawa, was actually there to do essentially what we see at uh, GDC, like a post-mortem for Final Fantasy 15, which is actually really cool because very rarely do you see this from the Japanese developers. You know, they tend to be, of course, a lot more private and they don't like to share a lot about what happens internally. But this guy broke down, you know, a lot of the stuff from Final Fantasy 15. Uh, he's been working on various Final Fantasy games uh, on like the mechanical side. So battle systems, progression, this and that, since Final Fantasy 7. Like uh, he designed... He actually owns the patent for the junctioning system from Final Fantasy VIII as well as the sphere grid for Final Fantasy X. So he's been involved pretty deeply with a lot of the mechanics of the franchise for a number of years now. So it, he knows what he's talking about. This isn't just some dude that you know got thrust into the role here. And he broke it down as far as with Final Fantasy XV, they knew they wanted to do new stuff, but it still had to be a Final Fantasy game. So he he broke down... It's called Facing Traditions was the name of this speech. And he broke it down into the things that they challenged tradition with and the things that they kept with tradition. Of course, the big one being here with Final Fantasy XV, the main thing that they challenged was the level design and the battle system. They went from a linear story progression to, you know, this big open world where, yeah, there's story, but, you know, there's also hundreds of other things to do. And they just gave you the entire world map from the very beginning of the game, not having to unlock, you know, sort of means of travel and this and that. From the minute go, you have access to pretty much everything. And then the battle system changing from the uh, turn-based sort of active time system with the command inputs that the, that the game series has had forever to a full real-time system action combat with AI-controlled teammates. And they, it's interesting when you talk about, like, I, those decisions in and of themselves weren't bad decisions. I, I have some issues with the way they were executed. And even he does. You know, he says, you know, there's definitely room to improve. We can iterate on this. But the one that bugged me was the big thing that they changed was the leveling balance where, and this is something that he'd spent a lot of time working on in the previous games, where they knew, okay, if you're at this boss fight, on average, you'll have fought this many enemies, you know, if you don't run away from all the battles. So they, they knew, like, an expected power curve for each, you know, for a player going through the game, where they should be, how strong they should be. They could tune the encounters to that. Well, with an open world game, they couldn't do that. And the way they did experience in this game was... Killing Monsters gave you a minimal amount of experience. A lot of it was for completing quests. And I just never found leveling up in this game to be very rewarding. Like, you get you know, small stat boosts for leveling up, but because the way it worked is it's um, you only gain your experience once you rest for the night. Like It's kind of like a tabletop RPG in that respect. But, like, you would go... So that means you would go several in-game days between actually leveling up your characters like the way the the growth curve was on leveling was it wasn't very rewarding from my point of view so and then even then the the rewards for actually leveling weren't weren't that impressive like you would get a small amount of ability points but you know once you've once you're past like level 30 like most of the abilities cost hundreds of points at the at that juncture so like i i think that's definitely something they have a lot to work on which is something he talked about also where he would go after final fantasy 15 and one of the things he wants to continue to challenge is 
that leveling curve. Like he's like, I like the open world. We can do more stuff with it. We can iterate on it. Same thing with the battle system. We can iterate on it, but we want to keep that core concept. And it's actually interesting the way he said, it's like, now that we have this idea of an open world and all these different things to do, we can change the way characters advance and that they even each member of the party doesn't have to level up in the traditional way so that you can have all these side objectives that would be growing your party by like, okay, yeah, this character, he really likes chocobos. So if you want to go racing, that's how you make that character learn new abilities and can become stronger. That's something I would actually really like to see because as varied as the amount of things you could do in the open world in Final Fantasy were 15. None of it was rewarding in a way other than you got experience. Like it was really disappointing for me of like over the course of the entire game. I never really got like a cool piece of gear, an awesome weapon. Like a lot of those were like not even end game. Those were post game items after you'd actually finished it. So like. Let me ask I you like this. That. Can, can I cut you off? Let me ask you this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is this the type of game, however, where that actually makes a difference? Because a lot of these RPG type games, it's it's more about the story and the gameplay. And if what you're wearing or the weapon you're using doesn't have that large an impact on gameplay, then yeah, would, it really doesn't matter. I, I'm also wondering because traditionally Final Fantasy, the, the weapons make a huge difference. Exactly. It, it's it's one of those things where even though he he didn't really talk about it, it, it's another thing that they deviated from classic Final Fantasy from. And I, I, I think it was not to this game's benefit, especially since, as I said, actually leveling up is not terribly rewarding and progressing in the story means you're not really doing much of anything else to like, you're not getting those new items and whatnot. So it's, it, it's just a reward structure issue that I had with the game. Right. And then he goes like, Oh, well the things that we kept was a lot of like, you know, the basic concepts of, you know, being able to travel through the world, chocobos, this and that having the ability system where he says, gaining new abilities doesn't make you more powerful per se. It just gives you more options for approaching encounters and strategy, which I like that. It's, it's interesting, but again, like I said, actually accessing those new abilities was, it, it was caught up in that leveling curve, which we were talking about. And one of the things he said is game over prevention. And that's, you know, he knows from, again, from previous games, approximate power levels. Like he wants the game just to be challenging, but you know, not Dark Souls hard. You know, he he wants the players to feel a sense of accomplishment by getting through a close battle. And he's like, you know, they didn't have a lot of like curing magic wasn't really a thing here in 15. He's, he's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, if you know you're going into a tough fight, you can just stock up on potions because that's how it was in the old games. Like, you knew, like if you were low on MP, but you had a bunch of potions, like you could probably make it through. But in those old games with like a pseudo turn based system, there was still a limited amount of actual time in battle to use those items whereas in 15 you could just spam potions endlessly like i got into encounters that really should have been way too hard for me and all i had to do like even once you're unconscious you can still use phoenix downs as long as you're not like outright dead it's like like, yeah what it's like death saving throws in uh in fifth edition D D. there's unconscious and there's dead if you're unconscious you can still resurrect like i got through like some really poorly designed battles, let's put it that way, that were way too hard for what, you know, 
should have been expected at that character level. Like I actually out leveled the enemies and it was still damn near impossible. Only way I got through it was by going through my entire stock of curative items in those fights and then just going back and spending all my money on more. So like, I, I don't think he quite grasped the way that cut that uh, system worked in practice as opposed to as designed. But still, Maybe, what's interesting about that, though, is and this is something we talked about way long ago, and I'm sure some of our longtime listeners remember we, we talked about game engines and the difference between like East and West. And it almost seems like they spent so much time focusing on new things to do within this engine that they mm-hmm. forgot how it all fits together. Yeah. So like I said, I, I still like this because Final Fantasy 15 is a game that has books could be written about the development of this game. And I'm actually surprised that this early after the game's release, we're getting a lot of like really candid you know, talks about it. And that that's, it's interesting. Like for good or ill, it's still, you know, going to be one of the biggest games of this generation. And the more we can know about it and what's behind it is only for the benefit of game design in general, I think. Well, you say too that, you know, the game just came out recently and they're being candid about it, but it's been in the works for so bloody long that I, I think that kind of discounts then how long the game itself has been out. Like True. The, well, the work that also, he did might have been a decade ago. <laughs> but also they've they've been fairly candid about that, like Final Fantasy in general, right? Like even with fourteen. Like they've they've been talking about like their faux pas. They've, that's a, a different direction than they've ever done before. Who the hell has a baby? I was like, what is going on over there? Uh, give me a second. The dog <laughs> managed to climb on top of her fucking crate and get her squeak toy. <laughs> oh, God. I'm hearing that. Like, what's the baby? I was doing? going, is there something we don't know? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. All right. How about you start with 14? <sighs> okay. <laughs> but moving on to the Final Fantasy 14 side of things with Stormblood. Early release uh, actually starts next Friday with the full release. I think it's like the week after that. So Stormblood is upon us. They did a huge like six hour long stream a couple of weeks ago of just like revealing all the stuff, like all the gameplay changes, you know, all the new zones and this new that new people. Like It was everything people could have wanted to know about the game. They they, they did a stream about it. And then over the past week, uh, a lot of media outlets got their hands on like trial versions of the game and can actually speak to to the way things are working. And they are changing a lot of stuff here. Uh, Mechanically, uh, to keep things simple here, they're really simplifying the way a lot of the the jobs work insofar as they realize that a number of their players are on PlayStation or even using controllers on PC, and there's a limited number of buttons. (laughs) that you have access to. So if they just continually keep adding new skills and new skills with each expansion, people who use the controllers just aren't going to be able to keep up. So they need to simplify things. Uh, They're doing that by combining some spells, making some things that used to be active uh, abilities become like passive buffs and procs and this and that. And then one thing that I actually really like that they're doing is the the game had a system in place called cross-class abilities. Uh, everything I'm going to talk about, I'm going to do from the warrior perspective because that's the class I am most experienced with. Like, for example, as a warrior, I had to level gladiator and paladin to a certain point to gain some skills from that 
that I could then equip on my warrior. And same thing for Dark Knights. Like, there were certain skills, and they, even the other way around, like, there are certain skills warriors had that paladins really needed. But, like, some of the paladin abilities were, like, mechanically necessary for, for certain encounters. So what they've done is, like, they've gotten rid of that entire concept and now just all tank classes, so paladin, dark knight, and warrior, as they level up, they're going to have this pool of shared tank abilities. And that's like the stuff that's mechanically necessary to tank, like, you know, being able to uh, raise your threat level like a, for tank switching and, you know, static, like on cooldown. Um, taunts and whatnot. Not necessarily, not just taunts, but uh, damage reduction abilities yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Stuff like every tank class needs. So, and then the same thing for melee DPS, range DPS, healers, like a lot of the essential class stuff that anybody in that role is going to need, now they're all going to have access to. I think there's like 10 different abilities and you can only select five of them at any given time. So they're still being able to like pick which ones you need. Like if you know, okay, this encounter does a lot of magical damage, I better have my magic shield up, like stuff like that. And then that way they can focus the actual class abilities on making them play unique and do fun and interesting things. So, like, if you're a healer, for example, you know you're going to have, like, these different abilities. Like, okay, you're going to have all the basics you need for healing, no matter which type of healer you play. So then you can just look at it as, okay, what kind of style do I want? Do I want, do I want fairies? Do I want tarot cards? You know, do I want things more straightforward in a traditional white mage? Which I like that they're this allows them to really diversify a lot of the gameplay of the classes without leaving any odd men out because that's an issue that they've had in previous, you know, iterations of the game of just like in uh, the 3.0 era, like monks were absolutely useless. Like they, they provided absolutely nothing to a party. And of course with monk kind of being like the banner class for Stormblood, (laughs) they needed to, 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 to really uh, bring them up a level. So like, they added this new mechanic for Monk uh, called Chakra, where they use Chakra to like fuel a lot of their abilities, like a key, key point system, if you will. But the way they gain Chakra is they buff the rest of the party. And then as the other members of the party are doing things, that's how the Monk themselves gains Chakra. So it, it's really changing the way the class plays. And like a lot of the classes have a lot of these new interesting systems that they're able to put in because now they don't have to worry about like, hey, we can give we can let summoners br- bring in an aspect of Bahamut now. But, you know, like they're not worried about those summoners being able to, to have like the passive and like core abilities they need to do range DPS, they can just focus on giving summoners fucking Bahamut because they can do that now. And tied in with a lot of this is now every class has a unique UI element to help them manage like cooldowns, buff timers, uh, resources. So now that things are getting more and more unique, the default UI isn't quite keeping up to the task. Like you guys play Warcraft, you know, Every class has like their own custom UI stuff that they use, you know, through add-ons and whatnot. Like, so Final Fantasy doesn't have add-ons, but they've put a lot of these systems like into the actual core UI of the game, and it looks cool as shit. Like, I'm actually really impressed with a lot of like mechanical stuff they've done with this game. That's really cool. Like, I appreciate when companies do that when they start to take a look at a, a, the problems like that and actually break them down in what is essentially a unique manner. Because I don't know another game that does that or has approached that problem in that particular way. And that's really cool because that's innovation in the time where everybody claims there is no more innovation to be had. Mm-hmm. 
that makes me excited, actually. Yeah, like it, it has me pretty damn excited, too, for trying a lot of things out. Like, a lot of the changes they've done to Warrior actually have me eyeing Warrior back up because I was considering switching to a different class for Stormblood. They also showed off tons of, like, they, I posted that seven-minute video of, like, just touring the in-game areas. It's gorgeous. I, There's a all, giant Jenga stack. <laughs> sure, why not? You didn't notice that? Watch the video again. I can't remember which city it is, but there's a giant fucking Jenga stack. I laughed when I saw that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Indoor areas, outdoor areas, dungeons, all the underwater stuff. Like uh, this expansion is going to be beautiful. No, no. (laughs) The underwater stuff is not beautiful. Underwater sucks ass. Especially like that weird transition you have going from above the surface to below the surface. It's pretty bizarre. They're not. All they had to do was literally look at. Wow. I mean, again, if you're working on any MMO now, it's not like before where you're aiming to beat WoW, certainly, but pay attention to what it has done and what it's failed at. Mm-hmm. And it's underwater zone. Uh, what is that? Vashir, right? Joe? It's Vashir. Right? Unfortunately, yes. I have Vashir. very clear memories of Vashir. Nobody's ever in Vashir anymore. So if you think of all the development time that they put into that zone, mm-hmm. which if you actually play Vashir as a, a druid so that you have your, your form. Your travel form, yeah. It was fun. I actually mm-hmm. enjoyed it because I did it on, on my druid. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. I did it on other characters that were not drew it after and it was a pain in the ass and i hated it hate it and i've never returned not even on my druid so that, that's that's where i'm hoping the ability to use mounts underwater in 14 is going to kind of make up that middle ground i don't think it will i don't like I, I like i see some of the environments like some of the underwater cities and like the beach environments they're great but i know in one of these videos i watched like i saw him just dive down in like the middle of the ocean and it's just it's an ocean like it's just this giant chasm of like empty space with fish swimming around it. Like, oh, well, it's also how you know. move underwater. Forget about just the mount. That's mm-hmm. that's certainly one thing. But just the the swimming mechanic and that how you move underwater. It's, it just does not feel natural. It doesn't feel good. And I mean, unless you're someone like a freaking <laughs> synchronized swimmer, you're not. You're more comfortable on land than in the water. And when you're playing this, it just it handles weird and i hate that and as i was watching this video it literally felt almost exactly like wow did with with their swimming i was like well fuck people hate that shit don't don't try to sell me on this as a feature of stormblood (laughs) yeah but uh some of those uh like really Asian influenced areas are oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Like I was again one of the videos. I watched a number of videos, so I couldn't tell you which one. And like they're just going through this area. I'm like, man, this looks really cool. This is like, you know, this cool Asian city. And they're like, yeah, this is a dungeon. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I did not expect the dungeon to look that, you know, you expect it to look good, but it, it could have been a city. Like it was very well laid out and good architecture. And That's and one of the stuff. ones that you posted actually in the Discord okay. channel. So yeah, no, that was awesome. It freaking gorgeous. And one of the websites was actually interviewing Yoshi P and they're talking about, uh, you know, the Eastern kingdom of Doma and how, you know, people weren't expecting that to be part of the game. And like, you know, uh, you know, did you add that in to help grow your market share, especially in China? And he's like, Oh, you mean like Pandaria? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, no, actually like, because going from 2.0 to 3.0, uh, 
you know, the gates to Ishgard were part of the game during the 2.0 era. So everybody knew that that was going to be the first expansion. And then the way the storyline was leading up, they're like, yeah, you know, everybody had a feeling that Alamigo was going to be where the 4.0 expansion was. So they wanted to have a complete second continent to really surprise the players and you know with their lore and everything doma was just the natural place to go from there so it's cool to see that they 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 want to keep people on their toes and you know nope you're not just getting one new area to explore in this game you're getting two and you're gonna be traveling back and forth the story is going to be intertwined between them it's not going to be like okay you've done everything here now move over to the other side of the sea so and they even claim that uh, they have the story outlined all the way until the end of the next expansion so the 5.0 era they already have their roadmap planned out of where everything's going to go good for them that's awesome and the big thing is that they have officially announced the jump potions for western markets which are you know the uh level boosts and whatnot so to get a character to level 60 which is the current level cap and it's where you're going to start in stormblood is level 60 it's a 25 dollar potion I think that's about online with what a character advancement is in most other games, right? I still think that's ridiculously high. I am not going to disagree with you. Wow. It, that, it, to me, that's batshit crazy that a simple script that's going to run in the background, they're charging people 25 bucks for. And that's mm-hmm. 25 US. Because they can. That's the thing. Now, to me, yeah, that's and fucking batshit crazy. I'm not even done. The thing with Final Fantasy is you can't access the new content regardless of what level you are until you've completed the previous content. So the story potion, which is completely separate from the leveling no potion, way. is an additional Are you shitting me? Oh my god! <laughs> wow! Wow. So if I were to tell you, holy guys, fuck. you should try out this new MMO. Well, not new MMO, new to you. If you say you the new expansion coming out, all this cool shit, you can be a red mage, you can be a samurai. Just buy the game, buy the expansion, spend an additional $50 to be able to play with me, and you're, you're good to go. That's fucking nuts. I did not realize that. That is and, and, and he's talked about this in interviews, and he's like, you know, he didn't want to make it so easy that people could just, you know, buy their way. Please, no, he wanted money. I, I know. Fuck I you. know. The, the way they're justifying it is, you know, there are players who have put in, you know, years of effort and, you know, countless oh, hours to, to actually do that content. And they didn't want people just to be able to skip it all for free and kind of, you know, see it as a slight against the players that did all the work, which here's the thing. He's not wrong because players who have been playing this game for years are furious that a new player can jump in and just pay some money to skip yeah. all the yeah, but, hard work they put but in. That's, but and that's the same thing that happened with EQ when they did the yeah. uh, the, the boost in there, and that same thing happened with WoW, WoW as well when they did the level boosting. I'm like, not agreeing. It, it always I'm happens. saying the players are idiots. Yeah, but the, the, <laughs> the moment they offered it the service – then the service is there. You're mad at the service. They're not mad at the cost. But mm-hmm. to me, it's being mad. Again, if the service is there, well, there you go. There's fuck all I can do about that. It's how much you're charging people. And even just at 25, that's highway robbery, in my opinion. Well, that's bullshit. It, it is. And if you're looking the, at 50 bucks, fuck you. That is, that, you're ripping off people just so that, that you can it, That's pockets. sort of the established price. And you can think. But that uh, doesn't make it that. right, though. Just to say, again, this this well, idea of it's okay, always here, been this way argue. doesn't make it right. 
And here's where I'm going to argue the devil's advocate side of that thing. How much is your time worth? Because how long does it take for you to naturally progress and level through all of that content to get to that max level to get or get to the level of the current content? Then you're discounting much, all you of the playing regularly a couple hours every night, weeks, but if yeah. not months. So you're in, discounting in, that. Point, that no, yeah, but that, I am our, not discounting that I'm argument. You, how you much didn't. Do you value your time. You're discounting for, what stop, you're going let to me be doing. A goddamn that. sentence, Roger. You're doing the same thing to me. I was still talking when you interrupted me, motherfucker. You were about the fucking cause. Uh, you interrupted me initially, so I feel justified here. <laughs> Whatever you need to sleep at night, sweet cheeks. Listen, the argument that you're making, though, doesn't take into account that. Yes. Oh, for fuck's sake. Go finish. finish, Go ahead. No, 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 whatever. I understand that it's a script that runs in the background that it involves very little on the developer's part, but it is very much how much that player values the time that they would have to spend leveling that character, possibly through shit that they don't care about, which is why they can charge so much about it. On the average thing, if it takes even, like Vince is saying, weeks, a couple hours every night, that's what, at least 28 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours, 50 hours? Let's put it this way. It's probably going to be $30 worth of subscription fees. Yeah. So, I mean, and at that point, if you're already paying for the time, if it's $1.50 an hour of your time, great, fantastic. That's a fucking bargain especially if there's other things you can do in that meantime. And a lot of times too, and this is the problem that I had specifically with Final Fantasy and why I stopped playing, I didn't have anybody at current level to play with. And people who wanted me to play with them didn't stop doing content or create new characters because the shit that they were doing was so fun and they didn't want to go back and do the shit they already did. This lets me catch up with them. And I'm not saying that it's at, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying the cost of it is, you know, the best thing in the world. But for people who maybe don't have that time, it is a good thing. And that price is still cheaper than WoW was charging for theirs. Throwing that out there. I'm done. So, yeah, yeah, Final Fantasy 14, guys. Hey. Oh, we're not done. I will tell you when we're done, motherfucker. <laughs> you will listen to every word I I fucking say. listen to him. Now I'm going to make my point. We can agree to disagree, but don't point blank tell me that the argument I'm making is incorrect. So let me use this analogy, if I may. If someone were to tell you that instead of eating for the next two weeks. They could just shove an IV into your arm at the end of the two weeks. And they don't aim me while I'm talking, motherfucker. You see, you're trying to interrupt me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to cover it up so I don't even see if you aim me some more. In fact, I'm closing the fucking window. That's next level trolling right there. Asshole. I mean, I'm closing down aim, son of a bitch. And I don't look at text in, in Skype, so don't even bother. <laughs> I don't even look in Skype, so it doesn't matter if you're typing. Going back to my analogy. End of the two weeks, you get your shot. It's the equivalent of the nutrition that you would have gotten over two weeks of eating food. And now you don't have to eat for another two weeks. You get another shot at the the end of that. Now, they're going to charge you a lot for this shot and say, but look at how much time you've saved that you would have had to spend eating. Look at how much money you would have spent eating in this. What? 
<laughs> no, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Go ahead. Keep going. Why? You're already mocking me. Because it's a it, it's it's a false equivalent. No, it's not. Very, yes, it is. No, because and, again, and, you're and not you counting wanna, you on the. It, you're people not do this already. You're, they actually motherfuckers are interrupting that. me again. Gives me shit, but they never let me finish my point. That you're discounting again the time that you enjoyed eating, the fact that you enjoyed the meals, the fact that the time spending it was fun because you were with other people, things like that. So. You can't just say that it saves you all that time because that discounts the enjoyment you had within that time. So it's not it's it's a false equivalency to compare them like that. Is what did you I'm, listen to anything I said earlier? Clearly you didn't because I didn't say anything about not enjoying your time. For some people, they don't get to enjoy that time because they're doing it by themselves or they don't get to experience the content properly because they're left so far fucking behind. And that's not fun, just like it wasn't fun for me, which is why I stopped playing the damn game. And, yeah, I'm going to be coming back into it. But, yeah, the game probably would have been fun. I didn't get to experience any of it because there was nobody to do it with. And the random people that I was grouping with weren't exactly the best people because they were trying it out for the first time and were sort of that wow chucklehead thing. But you're so say, you're you're just you're saying that you're saying that everybody gets the same level. No, of enjoyment no, that's not what I yes, said. You are. I didn't say everybody. You know, I did not say I'm everybody the time that I would have enjoying it. Well, I didn't get a chance to enjoy it, motherfucker. You did not. But again, you're saying because you didn't, then then it's this, worthwhile for them to put it at this price just because you did not enjoy it. That you're doesn't right, take into account all the other people have, that yeah. would have enjoyed it, in which case they're saying, well, fuck, that's pretty expensive. And those people can still go and play the fucking game. They don't have to pay for the goddamn fucking service. Nobody said anybody had to. It's but not you're about it that. Sound like they have to. Your, oh, your so that okay? Well, then, you, if you're relying on that argument, then we're definitely done because the argument of well, somebody's going to pay for it, so we can jack it up to whatever price we want. That's going back to the idea of gouging your clientele, which is what I started but with I at the beginning. And I don't view that as gouging. Then yeah. don't. Do I, think the price is high? Do I think the price is high for me? Yes. But at the end of the day, how, it, it comes down to a cost of how many effective play hours is that time worth? And if you're paying for like if you're already paying $30 worth of subscription time, what's another $20 for all that time in between that you've already saved? For some people, it's not going to be for everybody. And that's fine. Just like the wow level boost isn't. But I mean – we can agree to disagree. I think the $50 price point is fine for what it is. Moving on to Dragon Quest. Vince, you're still on. <laughs> or rather, you can come back. <laughs> we never talked about my feelings, but okay. <laughs> Dragon Quest Eleven <laughs> is coming out later this year oh, for PS4 and 3DS. And thus far, pretty much all of the marketing has been in Japanese. Like I don't, I haven't seen any marketing for a western release we know it's going to come out but they're just focusing on japanese at this point but we got this series of videos of gameplay all in japanese so i couldn't tell you exactly anything that's going on here i can just tell you that it's really 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 pretty uh looking at the ps4 footage it looks gorgeous it's not the most complicated art style dragon quest 
has always been more simple. So without like needing high res textures, just everything is smooth, colorful, vibrant. I love the way it looks. They showed off some of the actual gameplay combat. I, I saw some weird things going on with combat with the way orders are being issued, kind of switching things up, but nothing like completely out of left field. One of the best bits I saw, though, was they came across this giant like minotaur thing walking around the dungeon, beat it up. And then was it were able to ride it around, to, uh, <laughs> bash down walls, you know, knock tough enemies out of the way. It's something we talked about a few weeks ago, how they said some of the enemies in the field would be rideable. But actually seeing it like in practice. Yeah, you're not just like flying over, you know, a mountain. Like It's actually like being part of the level design in the dungeons. It looked really cool. It was like, very World of Final Fantasy. <laughs> uh, yes and no. I like part of the design in terms of, of landscape and stuff. Sure. But. I'm I'm not a fan of their art style, like the that mm-hmm. anime style, especially the the shape of eyes they use and something. I find it off putting. I just have never been a fan of it. Fair enough. Yeah, that's allowed. And then they also showed off the 3ds version. Obviously, the 3ds version is not going to look as good as the PS4 version, but they've made up for it by some interesting gameplay enhancements because, of course, you have the two screens. So the top screen is your traditional 3D view of the game, which actually looks pretty damn good for a 3DS game, I'll say. It looks better than uh, Dragon Quest 7 and 8, which I've been playing on the 3DS, which were uh, redesigned using the Dragon Quest 9 engine. So this is now like a new version of the engine. Uh, so it, it actually looks pretty damn good. But then you have the bottom screen, which is an old school like NES 2D interpretation of the game. So as you're going through the fields, like you, you, your world map isn't just a map. Like it's actually your character going through with the, the old school art style. And then they actually switched it up to show you can play in the 2D art style if you want to. More simplified battles, super old school I like that they put that in there as a bonus. And then in that case, your bottom screen functions as a more traditional map of just, you know, here's the world map, here's where your character is, and stuff like that. And then they switch it up showing that you can essentially mix and match how you want it to be. Like you can put whichever version, 3D, 2D, or basic map on whichever screen you want. And you can play the game however you want, which I, it, it, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting here's how it is. Enjoy it. Kind of taking a cue from the uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, where they let you play as whichever version of her you want. So you can play the like the original one in the newest game engine. So it's mm-hmm. that disconnect, but kind of cool still. Yeah, it, it's a nice thing. They know that throwback. it's obviously going to be the inferior version of the game, so they're just going to do some cool stuff to kind of make up that gap. I, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on. Joe, you found that last day of June game, which holy fuck, I had not heard of that at all. But yeah. it looks amazing. Oh my God. So, so I find the description of it is really, really accurate. Uh, it was compared to a Tim Burton film crossed with a watercolor painting. And damn, if that isn't yeah. accurate. Yep. The animation of it looks very similar to something that you would see from like. Coraline or any of the other Tim Burton animated films that we've had. What's the one with the him and the dog? Uh, they're uh, all him with the dog. Of, what? What are you talking about? The one with the dog. The one with the dog where they're both alive. Um, damn it. It's not Nightmare Before Christmas. It's the other. Corpse Bride? Was that the one? But the dog's not alive. No, Corpse Bride is. There's another one where the dog is alive. At some point, I thought. Anyways, it's those. Yeah, I like when regardless. you were when they were saying, yeah, like that art style, like fit that to a T. 
Yeah, and it, it's it's really spectacular. And apparently, this the, is a game. It's not just a uh, sort of storytelling experience, uh, but it's a platformer. It is a puzzle platformer that revolves around telling a story. As you are playing as, I believe it is Carl is yep. the name of the character. Yeah, Carl. Yeah. Uh, as you try to go and figure out how to rewind time to save June, uh, your love, because what winds up happening here is shortly into their relationship, June becomes really sick, like debilitatingly ill. And now what looks like Carl in several of the scenes uh, being incredibly old is trying to go back and fix things. And, that may be a weird concept, but it's definitely one that hit really close to my fucking heart. But it's this wonderful blend of that type of story with sort of like soft strokes in the background of like these, these sort of almost saturated nights and days where there seems to be this, this clear definition between evening um, and reality and daytime and memory. And I'm super intrigued. And I had no idea like this was ever a thing. And apparently it's coming out this year uh, and it's going to be one of those. It's going to be on PS4 and PC. But holy shit, it's it's got me. It's got got my attention. I played some of Murasaka Baby. Is that what it is? I think that they put out beforehand, which was a good game. Well designed and I enjoyed it. But nothing like this. Like this is above and beyond. Also, not just in terms of the style and, and the, the gameplay, what it, it looks like it's going to be and whatnot, but the story idea. Again, if you are someone who has either lost someone or you are someone who has been with someone, a partner, for a very long time, I would say. Because when you've been together a few years, you're still kind of you're, – you're, you're getting to know each other and, and, and things like that. And you're, you're far more thinking about where you are in the moment than where you're going to be later on. But when you're with someone, you're going on – again, Karen and I were 25 years – Again, the thought of this person's not always going to be in my life or I'm not always mm-hmm. going to be in their life. You start to think about that a lot more. And this idea that when I saw this, it was like, holy shit, it really struck home that idea of like, what would I do in the realm of the possibilities to bring her back or do whatever kind of thing? And and that's why it was like, holy fuck, yeah, I will play this to see where just how far they take it because it they could take it pretty much anywhere because most people will do anything to get that back. So yeah, it looks phenomenal. And, and and one thing I will say about that is I'm, I'm really enjoying the fact that we're starting to get interactive experiences in games that are touching on these types of topics because for so long, video games have been sort of kind of shying away from that thing where we're starting to see this sort of get embraced and getting more attention or they're not just visual, novels or like point and click adventures anymore these are full interactive games these are puzzles these are experiences uh to be had and like what remains of edith fitch same type of thing it really really hits you in those spots that you sometimes don't even know are exposed uh so yeah i'm i'm definitely looking forward to it i'll go you one further i think that 
um, again, it's it's a good time to be alive. We're seeing these things starting kind of thing. And I think that more developers are realizing, again, the, the, the depth and breadth of the gaming population, not just being young white boys. And so we are getting more experiences that are different than just a straight-up shooter that we've always seen and such games like that, or just silly platformers that really don't have much of a story. We're getting her story. We're getting Life is Strange and we're getting things like this too and that the, the Dragon Cancer game which I still refuse to play but I hear it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then this kind of stuff because it doesn't just have to be like diversity is not just oh somebody's in the wheelchair or somebody is a um, be, be it a person of color or, or, or games about women but the idea that the gaming population is also getting older right now. So these things are things that we are thinking about. Oh, yeah, and this absolutely. idea of getting old and having to care for somebody, or I'm sure we're going to start seeing games where you see more, more people, adults taking care of their parents as well. And the hardships therein. like, again, because the gaming population is getting older, it does mean that we are getting a lot more interactive games that are mature, that are adult, that are fantastic. So I'm so glad you brought this up because I had not heard about it at all. When is it coming out? Do you know? It doesn't have a exact release date. It only says 2017. So sometime this year, if I had to hazard a guess from what I'm seeing from uh, the Steam page and now that it's starting to get pressed, probably end of summer. Man, that's awesome. Okay, let's move on from there. Ever so briefly, we got a, a new trailer and a little bit of information for the new Need for Speed game that's going to be called uh, Payback. And this is Ghost Games who brought us the Need for Speed Rivals in 2013 and the reboot in 2015. And those were good games. Nothing like earth-shatteringly awesome, but they were good games and I enjoyed them and good racing kind of thing. But this I'm actually more looking forward to just because it has a very Fast and the Furious feel to it. Of them going up against, you know, a, a criminal element and and things like that. Like some of the scenes in that trailer may as well have literally been ripped from a Fast and Furious movie. And I'm OK with that. So it, it looked like a lot of fun. And I, and I, I will definitely be picking it up. Well, it's like Need for Speed Underground came out to kind of, you know, steal a lot of the, the popularity of the original Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> so now that the franchise is where it is, they're, they're wrapping back around. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what the story is going to be in this because it looks amazing, and the driving in those games are always fun. So, let's move on to a couple from you, Joe, because you had uh, although we were getting pretty late, so we'll, I'll ask you to be a little bit faster with them. But you had uh, Hover Revolt of Gamers and Tropical. Yeah, so Hover Revolt of Gamers is interesting to me because I sort of forgot this was a thing, and it is a, the successor to Jet Set Radio, which was one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, it's a small indie group that has produced this game, which captures the same feel of Jet Set Radio, just with modern controls and less frustration of the old platforms, uh, but does it not only with this new, sprawling, utopia society of the future where gaming is outlawed and you are basically going out and wrecking things and protests, so to speak, uh, but you are also greeted by an original soundtrack by the original Jet Set Radio composer, uh, Hideki Naga, Naganuma. I apologize for butchering that name. But it's super intriguing, and it's one of those things where, I like, I since I forgot it was there, it's like a nice little treat for me. 
to the point where I bought it and I'm just waiting to install it. I thought it was hysterical that I asked if you wanted to take the need for speed payback. <laughs> Do you like the Fast and Furious movies? And you're like, I got no interest in that. And then I look at what you drop in Discord. Very first thing, it's a fucking racing game. It's just you're on rollerblades. It's not, no, it's <laughs> not a racing game. That's, that it looks like that's the multiplayer aspect of it is there's challenges like, uh, I, here I am trying to keep it brief. But there are, are, are <laughs> courses where you can actually go through obstacle courses where you, your teams can race against each other. And it does look like it does both seamless single player and online multiplayer, um, much like uh, Creativeverse, which is a game that you can drop in and out of with friends at, at will. It doesn't interrupt their game at all. Same thing here. You can kind of join and drop out. Um, but it's not just uh, it's not just about going fast. It's an RPG. You're trying to free society from the doldrums uh, of this sort of existence uh, by essentially wrecking their shit uh, and then going through and showing people, hey, look at all these cool things that we can't do because they tell us they're bad. Come join us. So there's a more story element to it, at least as far as that goes, unless, you know, just racing stuff. I'm not saying Need for Speed doesn't have the story elements. It's just it's not a racing game. It's more like Tony Hawk, if anything. Moving on to Tropical. So Tropico was an interesting game where you play the dictator known as El Presidente um, and you have to run a country and it's hard. It's real hard, but you can do stuff like, you know, murder citizens, try to raise morale. It's Who fantastic. Thought running a country is hard. I thought anybody could do it. Well, you know, and that's interesting you should say that because in this reveal trailer, uh, the teaser begins with uh, uh, clips from various radio broadcasts. Uh, that all sound suspiciously like current events, uh, such as plans for a wall have been approved or uh, sort of basically talking about UK leaving the European Union. Uh, very, very on the nose. And it you see as character starts going through the radio, there's this big exasperated sigh and El Presidente picks up his phone and using, uh, I think it's, I forgot what it was called, like sweeter or something, uh, tweets out, time to get back into the game. And their tagline is just rule again. So basically they're poking fun at current events and bringing it back in. And I think it is honestly the perfect time for them to do this because with all the shit going on, sometimes just taking a thumb and nose approach to things is the best way to do it. That's what they're doing. Yeah, that's what we agreed last week when we were talking about uh, Far Cry 5. It's that kind of idea of, yeah, you know what? It's the right time. Let's see what you do. There's never going to be a better one. Yeah. All right, Vince, you had some Dungeons and Dragons, and then we're going to wrap up from there. Yes, uh, this past weekend, Friday and Saturday, Wizards of the Coast held their Stream of Annihilation event, which was 12 hours of streaming each day, uh, brought in a number of people uh, from various successful D&D shows, Critical Role, uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, Misclicks, uh, pretty much anybody who plays D&D on the Internet and has an audience for it larger than ours, uh, got to come in and play a series of one-shots set in the new setting for their adventure out later this year. And that adventure is the Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, This plays in line with a lot of their approaches to 5th edition adventures that have been kind of reimaginings of classic stuff like uh, Temple of Elemental Evil or Ravenloft. So what we have here now, Tomb of Annihilation, is a reimagining of the classic Tomb of Horrors where Asarak the Arch Lich is once again hoarding a great treasure at the bottom of a dangerous catacomb, and it's up to you to go down there. Surrounding this is a lot of interesting story about how 
death is fundamentally broken in the world. Uh, people who have been resurrected are starting to wither away. Their souls are becoming detached from their bodies. And once they're re-dead, there's no way of bringing them back. The undead are swarming and things aren't working right and this is all surrounding what's going on in the tomb that the adventurers have to go and figure out the tomb is actually in place in a far off land known as Chult which is this bizarre tropical island where they showed like a lot of the weird ass monsters from old editions of D&D that aren't used anymore that's where they live <laughs> and, and they go they they kind of say yes Chult is full of zombies dinosaurs and zombie dinosaurs. Tell me you don't want to play this game. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so Reginald it, would want a zombie dinosaur as a pet. <laughs> as his personal mount. <laughs> uh, Sir Reginald would not want to go anywhere near this if he's going to be redeaded. <laughs> what? If people who came back from the dead are losing their grip on life, would Sir Reginald want to be anywhere near that? I thought that he was actually going to be full-blown, he's a boy again after. None of this <laughs> undead bullshit. Oh, you're never quite right when you come back, sir. Yeah. There's, oh. there's always a little weird thing, or you're not quite right. Like I'm thinking he should have read the fine print is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> In addition to that, they also announced some other cool products coming out. Uh, last year, they released the Volo's Guide to Monsters, which uh, is written by the one and only Volothamp Getarm, the adventurer scholar of uh, Forgotten Realms and uh, rival to the great Elminster, where he essentially wrote his own version of the monster manual. Putting in all the stuff Volo left out, or I'm sorry, uh, Elminster left out of the original. And it was actually a really cool book. It had a lot of new monsters for DMs to use. It had a lot of new playable races for characters to use. Mm -hmm. But personally, I really enjoyed that it actually went into like deep dives of the lore behind them. Like, oh, I learned dude, a lot. Yeah, the monster lore was amazing. I learned a lot about how beholders are born, you know, how mind flayer society works, like the reason bugbears are considered goblinoids. Like, I learned a a lot about the monsters in the world and thus the world itself where even if you don't play in a setting having that lore and that grasp of how the creatures work inspired me a great deal I, I came up with any number of adventures that I'm going to be sending my uh, other group through just reading Volo's Guide I absolutely enjoyed it so now we have Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Xanathar being a beholder who also happens to be the leader of the Thieves Guild in Baldur's Gate. And this is just his collection of forgotten uh, information. And actually what this is mechanically is Wizards of the Coast has been doing this thing for the past couple of years now known as Unearthed Arcana, where they're taking new gameplay ideas and basically releasing them to the public for free for public playtesting. And I, I know myself and just about any other DM out there has had their players going, can we use Don't Arthur Canna? Can we use Don't Arthur Canna? Uh-huh. And my response has always been no. If it's not officially published, that means it hasn't been play tested or balanced for play. Once it's officially published, we can use it. So they took all the most popular stuff out of Unearthed Arcana, and this is now the official play-tested, balanced, and published version of that. So I believe they said 25 new subclasses uh, available to all the uh, existing classes. Uh, everybody is getting at least two, except for Wizard, because Wizard already has so many subclasses to choose from. They're only getting one. 
but all kinds of stuff for monks, rangers, fighters, you name it. In addition to that, new rules for magic items, traps, uh, downtime activities. So this is going to be a great, great supplement for the mechanical side of, of gameplay. And it's also a delightful, wonderful nod to uh, the guy who's well, credited with starting everything, Gary Gygax, because I remember the Unearth Arcana that I still have sitting on a <laughs> shelf maybe 10 feet from me from 1985. And that's what they did there, too. Like, also, like a lot of that same type of weird stuff that, you know, came out afterwards. I, I, I'm so jazzed for that. Yeah. And then finally, actually, it, the thing I am most excited for that they announced this weekend, are either of you familiar with the board game Betrayal at House on the Hill? Yes! Yes! Thank you! Yes! <laughs> I was going to say it if you didn't. Okay, for those of us who are not, please enlighten okay. us. <laughs> Betrayal at the House on the Hill is a fantastic uh, tabletop board game where you and up to five other players are people investigating this weird haunted house. And it's so much fun because every time you play, it is literally a different game. Yes, like the the answers for it too. The play board <laughs> itself is random every time because you draw like new rooms out tiles, of a, out yeah. of a deck uh, of tiles, and these new rooms have all kinds of you know weird shit that can happen to you as you go through them. You can find items, you can get you know possessed, what have you, until the game reaches a point where the haunting starts. And this is where the entire concept of betrayal comes in, because once the haunting starts, what was a cooperative game is now a competitive game because one of the one or more of the players become the bad guy. They get haunted and betray the rest of the party. And it's I, I don't even know how many there are. There's what, like 200 different possible hauntings or something ridiculous with, with the expansion that they just released were close to 300. Yeah. So like. Like I said, every time you play this game, it's going to be different. And it's so fun of everybody trying to work together to get all the cool shits, knowing that one of the players is going to fuck them in the end is so much fun. So now what we have is Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, which is <laughs> mechanically the exact same game, except instead of a haunted mansion, you're exploring the streets of Baldur's Gate, the sewers, the the catacombs beneath, like all, mm -hmm. all the weird shit that's connected to Baldur's Gate. Uh, there's if, if it's like Haunted Hill, there's going to be 12 different uh, playable characters because it's two different variations on the six. Uh, yep. It, like it's basically you have six main characters and there's two different twists on it. You know, if you flip the card over and instead of ghosts and well, I'm sure there's going to be ghosts, but <laughs> instead of, you know, normal world paranormal shit, you're going to have mind flayers. You're going to have thieves guild. You're gonna have all the stuff that could come up in a dungeons and dragons game, which once again, the way the game plays out, one of the players is going to betray the rest. And this takes a game that is probably my favorite board game to play and puts it into a D&D &D setting and I could not be happier. I've already oh, yeah. <laughs> Same. I, I pre-ordered I saw it on the, the stream of Annihilation. I'm just like, wait, what, 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 what? Take my money. Just shut up and take it. Yeah, I'm I'm so on to this. It's not even funny. This whole weekend was so much fun. I've got hours worth of VODs to go through of watching some of these games. I, I completely forgot to mention it uh, with uh, Tomb of Annihilation. They've actually included some alternate mechanics to show just how messed up death is. They have a new meat grinder mode, which makes death more deadly. Uh, the death mm -hmm. saving throws, the, the difficulty class goes up from 10 to 15. So I like that it's a small little mechanical twist that 
forwards the way you know the the actual narrative and it fits in. It, they they just did so much right this weekend. I'm so happy that D and D is awesome again. Where did you guys pick up that uh, betrayal at uh, Boulder's Gate? Any board, uh, any any store that sells board games should have. Yeah, it. I, okay. I got mine through Amazon. Oh, because it's not on uh, the CA of Amazon. Mm. I was just well, it doesn't come out until October. So yeah, it'll time. probably show up a little bit later for us up here. But that sounds like so much fun. If if you like playing games with the family, pick up Betrayal at House on the Hill. You will not be disappointed. I did pick. I, I've got that showing now on on Amazon. But like my my youngest now is playing D anD D all the time to the point where he's actually running some of the campaigns as well. So he is like loving this stuff right now. So this Baldur's Gate one, whew, that would be right up our alley. We would have a ton yeah. of fun with that. Awesome. Okay, is that it? I think that's enough. That is more than enough. Let's wrap it up for the week then. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us, of course, at ForTheLore.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also find us on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, Joe is Loaders at J. Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. We hope you enjoyed our Shadowrun session that we just had. In a few more weeks, we're going to be doing another D&D session. So with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Oh, my God. I need a drink. (laughs) (laughs) She done told me Papa done told me too Son, that guy you fooling with She ain't no good to you But that's all right That's all right That's all right Mama Thank you for listening to For the Lore Each week the show is broadcast live On Mondays at 7pm Eastern Stop by ForTheLore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. It's all right. That's all right.